0: Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. One of the fascinating dichotomies of modern life is that we're somehow both more efficient than ever before and, at the same time, busier than ever before. All the many ways that we've found to optimize our performance inside our minds, in our work, our relationships, our bodies, or whatever else, has, for many people, resulted in feeling like there are actually fewer hours in the day, rather than more. Our go-go-go Western cultural attitude puts a huge value on doing, and less of a value on being. That's what we're going to be exploring today. The interplay between being, the experience of who we truly are, or perhaps just resting an experience altogether, and doing. And perhaps how by focusing more on being, we might actually be able to do more than ever before. To help us do that, I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. So, Dad, how are you doing?
1: How am I doing? How are you doing? How, am I oh, or how, how are you being? Yes, yeah. how are you being, Dad? That's right. I'm being well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Get it? <laughs> it's in the name and everything. Wow. <laughs> For the record, that is not in our prepared notes for this conversation. <laughs> Rick just did that off the dome, which I thought was great. Off the
1: dome. I never off heard that before. Off the top of the
0: dome. <laughs> so I know that you've been thinking about this a lot recently, this kind of dance of doing and being perhaps evidenced by your, your quick pun there. So let's start actually how you define this. I, I kind of gave a sort of broad definition in the introduction. How would you talk about this?
1: Yeah. Where this originated actually is from you in our focus in the podcast as of a couple of episodes ago on how to set good goals for the new year, 2021, in you know the Western world, new year. And what that got to was the distinction, for example, between saying to yourself, well, you know, what are your goals for 2021? Well, I want to do x, y, and Z, right? I want to do more exercise. i want to I want to do more sticking my neck out in meetings at work. I want to do more outreach with friends. I want to have more dinners with people, whatever it might be. i want to I want to do meditation more, et cetera. That's distinct from what are the qualities of being that underlie that? So what are the qualities, for example, of a sense of underlying vitality or aliveness that naturally move into the doing of movement and exercise, getting out, getting off the couch, et cetera? Or what are the qualities of being loving, being friendly, being benevolent toward other people that then naturally move into the doing of putting up a profile on a dating site or just arranging to get together more often with friends, or having a, you know a, a less quarrelsome relationship, let's say, with your partner. So you can see the distinction there. Now, of course, we live in the world, we need to do things. You and I are doing a podcast, all right? I'm waving <laughs> my hands, people can't see them because I wave my hands often when I talk. I'm doing those things, all right? We're breathing, the heart's beating, et cetera. But on the other hand, underneath all that can be a sense of qualities of character or underlying field of experience, like being loving, being gracious, being patient, being determined, being worthy, that infuse the doing with certain qualities of being. And under even that, there can be a sense of just resting in being, period. Not being a particular thing, such as calm or loving or determined, but simply being. And that's accessible to us all in any moment without mysticism or metaphysics, simply observing directly that in this moment, you are being here. You in the total, inclusive, broadest sense of who you, all of you are. And when you drop into that, something just shifts inside your consciousness. For me at least, I think many people report this, you get more relaxed, you get more centered. There can even be a sense of your personal being in ways that might seem even a little mysterious, somehow extending into or opening into what some have called the well of being, an underlying ongoingness of the universe. The universe, which includes our own experiences as natural phenomena in an ongoing kind of way. So anyway, that's it. Level one, you could say orientation to this is to think about those qualities of character or emotion or mood or stance, orientation, intention that effectively underlie the kind of doing that's important for you in this life. And level two, even more deeply, getting in touch with just simply beingness rather than doing this. So that's what got me into this. And I kind of summarize it with those three words, beginning with being, beginning with being.
0: So implicit in what we're talking about here, I would say is the view that we do too much doing and not enough being. Is that consistent with your perspective?
1: Yes. I love your short (laughs) snappy (laughs) summary of of all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome.
0: Yeah, okay. So what are some examples of this in your estimation? What are ways that you see people
1: maybe doing too much and being too little? Mm -hmm. So let's pick an example. Let's suppose that for a lot of people, they would like to be happy. You know, an underlying sense of contentment. uh, For me, well-being is summarized in my definition of it as an underlying kind of global context, or you could say field that's colored by a sense of broadly peacefulness, contentment, and love in the meeting of our three major needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. Okay, let's suppose we we call that happiness in the broadest sense. So a person wants to feel that. They wanna, they wanna rest in that. And often what happens is we think, well, boy, if I want to rest in a sense of being peaceful, of being safer, I need to do all kinds of things. I need to put locks on my doors. I need to get a real big dog, scary dog. I need to pile up in my bank account. I need to do all these things to be safer or to be more peaceful. And yeah, you know, there's a place for for reasonably skillful action. But what many people have observed, and I think you alluded to it for us in your great intro, is that we can get trapped in doing like the proverbial donkey, trying to be fed by the carrot by walking toward it. And yet the carrot is always extended out from the donkey. And the very act of trying to walk to the carrot extends the carrot further. And so you don't get it. Doing gets in the way of the being that we long for. And I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. And boy, do I know that one from the inside out. I can get extremely invested in and preoccupied with doing my tasks. I mean, you observed that. You've observed that about me where I'll just <laughs> lock on and I'm grinding through those tasks. But the grind, the grind crowds out well-being. I'm doing all those tasks, so I'm going to be happy someday, but the very doing in them particularly the kind of dogged, pressured, contracted, somewhat irritated doing of them definitely gets in the way of well-being.
0: We're talking about something here that I think a lot of authors and thinkers and philosophers have commented on, and, and there are a lot of great kind of quotations to the effect of what you're saying. Many people just wake up one day and they realize that they've been running and running and running and they've been so caught up in the act of doing that they've missed out on the being. Another way to maybe talk about that is in terms of the journey and the destination. You know, a lot of people get very preoccupied with what they need to get out of every moment of their life as opposed to being more invested in the experience of just having that moment. That's maybe another way to talk about it. And a lot of this does get back to mindfulness or applying mindfulness to the act of being, but. I don't know. I think that there's maybe something that you're saying here that goes in a different direction than that or reaches a bit deeper than that. What do you think?
1: Well, I agree with you. And I would sometimes introduce myself as a recovering doaholic. And the world likes doers. Mm, mm -hmm. Companies like employees who do a lot. And companies don't care if the motivation for the employees to do a lot is fear or a sense of inadequacy or a kind of warrior culture that says that if you're not exhausted and fried, if you don't have an ulcer, (laughs) you're not committed enough. Mm, mm -hmm. And so I think of the ways in which the brain is designed to do in order to survive. I look out my window, we have kind of, it's like Dr. Doolittle here, with a bird feeder and we live on the edge of open space. And so there's a lot of activity in our backyard, birds all over the place, uh, lizards, creatures of one kind or another. And you can just see they're doing a lot because that's what you gotta do to survive. Okay, so we have a brain that engages what one might call craving loosely and broadly to get different kinds of rewards and avoid different kinds of punishments or pains. And to connect with others of one's kind. And that process of goal-directed doing can become a general sense of drivenness and lack. Because lack is the underlying meaning of the word want. So we get caught up in problematic kinds of wanting that at bottom have a sense of something missing and something wrong. And then that becomes the new normal that becomes our way of life, the paradigm, right? And we might think, oh, I'll get out of that if I go on vacation eventually, or, or just TGIF, somehow I scratch and claw my way to the weekend and then restart everything else on you know, the same old, same old on Monday. But that whole approach can really become who you are. And then the years tick by. And so for me, there's a kind of healthy disenchantment that's applicable here, where... You sort of wake up from, I think Tara Brock calls it the trance, you know, the trance in this case of doing, which at bottom often has an underlying trance of unworthiness or the trance that something is missing when nothing's really missing. You have all the important things you really, really need. And you kind of wake up from that and you realize really globally that you've just become too identified with doing and you've missed out on beginning with being starting with these simple qualities that you want to establish yourself in. Like I'll do a little thing in the morning sometimes where I'll be lying there in bed and I just try to establish myself in the green zone in an authentic way. Okay, relatively calm and strong in terms of peaceful. All right, thankful, contented, even though, yeah, there's more I'd like, but I I know what it feels like to feel grateful and thankful is my frame. And then also, okay, you know, I don't like everybody equally. And Some people really kind of irk me, generally, politically. But, you know, I can locate, I can identify with a fundamental good-heartedness, a fundamental kind of decency and basic friendliness and kindness in myself. Okay, peace, contentment, love. All right, I'm centered. I'm dropped into that as a way of being. And inside that context, then, doing will be occurring over the course of the day. And I just think that's a much better way to go about living.
0: Yeah. To maybe put a sciencier framework on what you're kind of talking about here, a lot of what you're referring to is our basic tendency to be somewhat negatively valenced in the moment and overestimate the future. We talked about this a little bit with Dr. Tally Sherat with regards to the optimism bias, but it's a widely recognized cognitive bias that people tend to overestimate both how positive and how negative future events will be. And particularly, how good future events will make them feel or how bad future events will make them feel. And the way that you talk about this, typically, Dad, is using the language of the inner advertisement agency, how it's like we have an ad agency that's living up in our brain, and its job is to push out material that moves us constantly into a state of doing. And this makes really good evolutionary sense if you think about it for a second, because Mama Nature doesn't really want her little babies sitting around on the Serengeti not trying to get more food or not trying to run away from the tiger or whatever else. And so I think that you see these things come together to create the kind of underlying machinery that nudges people toward doing over being. And that doing, or you know, as we talk about it sometimes on the podcast, that craving is something that can really interfere with our ability to be from, as you described it earlier, the green zone, that space of peace, contentment, and love, or that feeling of enoughness in our life, or however else you want to talk about it.
1: You know, you're also reminding me for us that, for example, let's pick an example. Let's say for yourself or, or maybe a friend, what would you or that friend like to feel more or be more? So pick a word, you know, or What phrase? What's an example here?
0: That I would like to do more or be more. I would like to, you're making me think about this in real time. I would like to feel more worthy. Okay.
1: So one example here is what could you do to feel more worthy? You might think of one thing or two. What might those be?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think being more consistent in my behavior would probably get me back to more of a feeling of worthiness.
1: Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Let's just go there. All right, so this is very understandable. That Someone might say, well, I'd like to be happier or I'd like to be more patient. And then understandably, or I'd like to feel more more vital, you know, more alive in my body. And then understandably, a person might then explore what could I do to experience that more, which is perfectly legitimate, which then goes to this material that you and I have explored a lot, which is the movement from state to trait. In other words, let's suppose that people do certain things to foster certain experiences, certain qualities of being, like being worthy, feeling confident. Okay, got it. But then a very, very important thing to do is to slow down and internalize that state of being that you've generated through activities of one kind or another, through doings of one kind or another. But when you're actually in the experience, turn on the inner recorder, get a sense of that experience sinking into you and stabilizing in you and establishing in you. So then in the future, you can just go directly to that state of being because you've grown it as a trait and you can more directly and immediately access it without having to go through the interim vehicle of the doing, the activities of different kinds that would foster that experience. That's a very important process. And I think a lot of people, they get stuck in states. They do various things, skillfully, reasonably, to foster the experiences they want, but then they don't internalize the experiences. They don't develop, in effect, a kind of mood of worthiness Mm, mm -hmm. or a mood of confidence,
0: yeah. And through doing, we can sometimes prove to ourselves that we are the thing that we want to be. Mm -hmm. So that's another way that doing can support being. If I am consistent in my behavior, that is a proof to myself that I am worthy of the things that I receive. But if I receive things and I don't feel like I've worked hard for them, then that's
1: much more challenging to feel worthy around them. I know it's a little bit like you earn a paycheck, let's say, Mm -hmm. but then you don't put it in the bank. Sure, yeah. So people do things through which they earn the state of being, Mm -hmm. but then they don't bank it in emotional memory stores. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge missing step in a lot of people's
0: experience that we have all of these opportunities to be how we want to be or to experience that being authentically. And
1: we just don't really take advantage of them. Yeah, exactly. So then if I could you know, pick on you, and, and again, feel free to talk about another person or you can turn about- Yeah, sure. With uh-huh. me, interpersonally, what might be something that you, or you can see this in a someone you know, would like to do more in their relationships or do less of in their relationships?
0: Man, myself included, but many of the people listening would probably like to do more for their partner and feel authentically good about it while they're doing it. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> rather than what?
1: Forced or?
0: Well, rather than doing it out of a sense of obligation or because, you know, there's a tic-tac mm, thing going on yeah. or whatever else.
1: Okay. So let's suppose that a person would like to do more gifts to the partner or do more support or do more praise or appreciation, let's say. Okay. Great, do more housework, do more of their share, let's say, of stuff around the home. Okay, point. What underlying attitude or mood or underlying stand in life that's values-oriented, values-driven, you know, underlying kind of leaning of one kind or another, would incline a person more naturally into those kinds of doings? Probably more of a stance of generosity. Feeling generous, feeling overflowing.
0: Yeah, feeling like a generous person. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, feeling yeah. overflowing, feeling like you
1: have enough yeah. to give. Yeah, ben- I, that's really great. Beneficent, right, or a, a wellspring, uh-huh. yeah. Well, right there, you can see this example. So there's a form of doing that a person might want to do, which perhaps, just to make it complicated, might lead to a sense of being, like being more loved, feeling more loved in their relationship through doing more acts of service generosity fair play decency let's say with your partner okay and even prior to that doing which could then lead to certain kinds of being foundation beginning with being is tuning into something like an underlying overflowingness an underlying generosity and then you might even say well what qualities of being would naturally support being more generous And a person might say, well, honestly, resting more in a broad feeling of gratitude in life, thankfulness in life in general, not just about your partner, but a kind of broad thankfulness from which naturally generosity flows, from which then naturally the doing of more dishes (laughs) flows, from which naturally the being feeling more loved might come. Isn't that pretty cool?
0: Yeah, so you're describing a way where getting more in touch with being allows us to actually do more.
1: In effect, yeah, that's exactly right. And and part of it, one thing too, I, I'll just say this. I don't know if it's useful. Often there's what we know we ought to do, but we don't want to do it. We resist it. There's, we just, ah, we can't get, yeah, sure. you know, it's a, yeah. And here's an example. My friend, Tom, grew up as a real hands-on kind of guy. That's not how I grew up. And so I remember really well, I needed to assemble some furniture one time and Tom was over, we were just hanging out and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to do it. Tom just jumped in and did it. I remember another thing, we were fixing a fence and I didn't want to fix the fence. It was a pain in the neck, bored me, but Tom just moved into it. It's like there was no resistance, no friction between him and the task. He just flowed naturally into it. And I've, I've tried to acquire that capability to just simply give oneself over to what needs to be done. Even if it's unpleasant or boring or are desires to do other things, to just surrender to what the situation or the task calls for with as little friction between you and it as possible. That's an example of a quality of being a sort of non-resistance to what there is to do, a releasing of grumbling, (laughs) the inner grumbling about what there is to do and simply doing what there is to do. So it's a quality of being, right? A kind of non-resistance, a kind of willingness to just be given over to what there is to do that then makes the doing much more enjoyable, certainly much less frustrating and irritating and, you get a lot more stuff done that way.
0: (laughs) Anyone who's listening to a show like ours knows mental health challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define who you are. If you're navigating something difficult, one of the best things you can do is get some high-quality help, and The Dr. John Delaney Show is a great place to go for that. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy Dr. John's show. It was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling. He's been working with people for over 20 years. And the show has really a very cool format. Real people call into the show and he walks them through how to make good choices related to difficult situations and common challenges like facing depression, overcoming anxiety, or connecting with other people. You can send them your questions by leaving a voicemail at 844-693-3291. Or emailing askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. It's a great resource for people and a really nice compliment to the work we do here on being well. Listen to the Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. As somebody who has a long history of painful acne and related skin issues, I know how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's where our sponsor, OneSkin, comes in. Most skincare available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in symptoms without addressing many of the underlying causes. OneSkin's OS01 line of products targets cellular senescence, this is a key hallmark of aging, directly with their proprietary OS01 peptide. The OS01 peptide can reduce the number of senescent cells by up to 50%, strengthening the skin barrier, improving skin health markers, and reducing visible signs of aging. I've been using their OS01 Face Topical Supplement, and I love how simple it is. You just cleanse, you pat your skin dry, and apply twice daily. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off, oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. We all know that the food we eat today affects how we feel tomorrow. But what if I told you that it could affect how you felt in 20 years? We're learning so much these days about our bodies, and one of the challenges for people right now is that there's an enormous amount of information out there, but it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is... Super easy to consume, even if you don't understand the science, with loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting, cutting-edge science. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Naomi and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so being broadly defined is a good thing. We want to get a little bit more in touch with being. You walked me through a quick exercise where I gave an example of something that I want to be more, and you explained a few ways that I could get more in touch with that. More broadly speaking, for people who are listening, what could they do more of in their lives, you think, to get in touch with that feeling of being, just in kind of a day-to-day, moment-to-moment sort of way?
1: Yeah. Well, for one, you're just the way you had to language that gets to some mm-hmm. of the difficulty because, you know, we're trying to draw this distinction. What could people do to yeah, be? Uh, to be know? more. Yeah, do be, do absolutely. be, do be, be, do be, do be, do something like that, right? You <laughs> kind of, uh, um, so yeah, that's why I think it helps. I mean, to bring it down to something very concrete like, who do you want to be in this life? Or what would you like to be, being through you, in effect? In this life. And a person might say, I'll give you a little example that's kind of more about me. One thing that I'm trying to be more of and be more rested in is what I would say a kind of not striving. I'm very good at striving, I'm very good at a kind of muscular, determined, scratching and clawing my way up the mountain of one kind or another, just get stuff done. And I'm really trying to help myself, and I acknowledge that my circumstances now are allowing me to, the privilege really, of exploring this more, I'm trying to help myself be in this life in a non-gaining, non-striving, undriven, undefended, undisturbed kind of way. So it's helpful to have something like that identified or what someone might say is, you know, I'd like to be more rested in a sense of my own worth, or I'd like to be more at peace in my relationships and more rested in what T.S. Eliot described as, teach us to care and not to care, teach us to sit still, right to be rested there where I'm feeling like you're a loving person, but you can also be at peace with the limitations with other people and the fact that other people are gonna kind of be who they are and do what they do, right? So there you are. Then the question becomes, okay, what would support you being increasingly rested in that way of being? In the feeling of it, in the attitude in your body, what would support that for you? And if a person could pick one quality of being they would like to have a little bit more of throughout the day. That's a good takeaway from this conversation for us. One quality of being they'd like to be more stabilized in over the course of their day, and then ask themselves, what would foster that? What would foster that? Maybe it's simply a matter of just remembrance. Remembrance throughout the day of this way of being that is actually native to you. You've developed it maybe, or you have access to it, or you're growing it as a trait. Fine, remembrance of it. Or you might think, hmm, I need to do a little bit more of a formal practice. You know, every night before I go to sleep, I'm going to reflect on three good things that happened in the day or three things that are good about me that showed up during the day in some way or I can be aware of. And I'm going to do that little thing because that helps me be more continually or more consistently rested in feeling good about myself. That's really useful. That brings it very much down to earth. And I would would really support people in that. Second thing is be very aware of external pressures that shove you into doing. You've been great at writing about this for us and thinking about it. Maybe you can say more about it right now. Wow, the world just wants to push us into do more, do more, do more, do more, and dangles the carrot of if you just do more, you'll be able to finally be fill in the blank. And yeah, we never get to the carrot.
0: Yeah, no, I think you just said it right there. Mostly, I mean, I remember this whole section in Resilient that was very focused on that specifically, and I would mostly reference that. But to sort of paraphrase it here, we're just very good socially at kicking the goalposts further and further away. Mm. And yes, most of us can't be monk-like in our modern life. You know, we can't just only be all of the time, there has to be some space for doing. So the question is then, can we be while we do? Yeah. And it's important to pay attention to the many, many, many times that we really think that we have to do something right this second when we actually don't. And it's actually possible to just not do something for a second. And I think that, for me, that is a huge element of how I express agency personally not by being resistant or kind of oppositional defiant about it or otherwise negatively adapted, but just having a moment where I kind of go, I have the space to breathe right now. I have the space to drink my coffee. I have the space to sit on this chair. I have the space to spend five minutes checking ESPN or whatever else. It's really okay. The world is not going to end if I do that. And I think that that's a remarkable way to inject a little bit of very practical self-care into a daily life. Yes, we don't want to get wrapped up in that as our constant mode of behavior and it becomes procrastination and all of that. But every once in a while, you have an opportunity to just sit on the sofa and experience yourself in the act of being.
1: Mm. This also goes to what is our true nature? And Mm, mm -hmm. so much of what we do is about becoming someone or becoming a kind of someone. You know, to some extent, there's a place for that right? Skillful means making efforts. Okay. That said, I think underneath it all, it's very important to just have a feeling of access to who you are naturally and to accept yourself as who you are naturally and to appreciate the innate goodness in you. What is innately good? Innately good intentions, innately useful capabilities, a fundamental underlying wakefulness, call it a radiance, and energy, that's just natural. That's in everyone. And it can feel really quite intimate and vulnerable even, even kind of humble, but in a really wonderful way, sort of selfless almost, to be aware of and in touch with just your own naturally good qualities and who you are. Who you are, who you is, that's another word for being, you know, who you naturally be, maybe covered over, but simply who you naturally be and rest in that and then have action and doing flowing out from that. It might make sense for us to talk about resistance
0: to being a little bit, not just in terms of social or cultural factors. Of course, there are plenty of those but in terms of our own internal resistance to it, and particularly in terms of coming more into contact with being in ways that feel threatening to us, or cause us to have a defensive emotional response to them. A lot of people, myself included, being frank, are blocked in their expression of being certain kinds of ways, because being those ways feels very threatening. Because it ties back into what we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes, really, in a lot of different ways, which is this idea of the dreaded experience. Those things that get in the way of allowing us to be who we truly are down at the core, as you were saying a second ago. And often when a person starts to ask themselves these questions, who am I, what do I want to be, can I be more, that can actually create a lot of anxiety in the mind. And in our experience in the body, you can get a little flustered, like, oh, I don't, I don't know about these questions. This feels a little uncomfortable to me. And particularly, again, for a lot of people, when they start to attribute positive traits to themselves, that can be matched by an equally loud inner critic or an equally loud defensive pushback against some of those positive traits. Particularly if those positive traits are kind of counters to the things that we were told about ourselves, or the things that we learned about ourselves when we were young. That's a very, very common dynamic that you see with people. That as a child, to use myself as an example, I was kind of taught, and I use that in broad quotation marks because it was a very holistic form of teaching and learning. It's just kind of what my sum of experiences taught me as I moved through time, that I was a top-down, head-oriented, cognitively valenced person. And if you listen to this podcast and you hear me talking, there is some truth to that. Absolutely. I am a cognitive guy. But it's hard for two things to exist in our consciousness at the same time, particularly if it feels like there's a dichotomy expressed between the two of them. Cognitive dissonance is not something that the brain likes. So because I was a cognitive person, that meant that I therefore could not be an emotional person or a sensitive person or a feeling person or whatever, insert the word. And that's just not true. And a lot of my life, my adult life, my adult development, has been focused on re-educating myself about the ways in which that is not true, essentially, and the ways in which that I can be both of these things at the same time. And I think that if you're listening, you might think about that a little bit in your own life and about the answers to this question, who do I want to be more, or how do I want to move more into being, insert word, that are very true in your heart, but might not be the fastest to your tongue. And I think that that exploration is a really, really fruitful
1: one. And I found it very useful personally. That's wonderful Forrest. And as your dad, I can say all along, I, I saw you were a heart guy, actually. Oh, with, thanks, with Dad. A great I appreciate mind. that. <laughs> <laughs> a Great guy with a, a heart guy with a great head. Oh, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think everybody has a memory, or they can get in touch with it in the present, of who are you when you're not scared? Mm, mm -hmm. I think that's a great question to ask. Yeah, when you're not frustrated, when you're not freaked out, when you're not scattered, frazzled, who are you, who are you? And the who that people are is good. Do you mean that in just like a very broad sense? Yeah, I mean it well, I mean it in two senses. Good in the sense of, oh, valuable quality, et cetera. And I mean it in the moral sense, actually, Mm, as well. mm -hmm. There are people who are rare, they're unusual, who, even when they're chilled out, are mean, just by nature, even sociopathically so. And but most people, most people, when they're undisturbed when there's a sense that there's enough, when they're not rattled, when they're not hungry, when they're not flooded, they default. This is the green zone, it's our natural home. They default to a pretty good place. And maybe that's a way of summing up one of the running themes here, that very often it's our doing that disturbs us from our home base of beautiful being.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And I can speak of my own journey. I mean, sometimes we just have to do a lot of stuff and then it gets interesting and important as to how one can train oneself to do things without losing touch with being. And I still think about this example I've shared with you of going to the Zen bakery in what... um, probably the late 70s. This was San Francisco Zen Center. I think it operated a like a little coffee shop, a bagel place. And you'd walk in and you'd see all these people bussing dishes and working the cash register and schlepping warm breakfast rolls out of the kitchen and selling them. And then when you looked at them, though, you could see their eyes were very clear. They were utterly present. To them, it wasn't about the bagels or the coffee. It was about using that form of doing, chop wood, carry water, as an expression of their own Zen practice. So, but if we're gonna do a lot of doing, you gotta really be on your game. I I think that's part of it. And the other is to be very careful about how the world rewards you for your strengths. And if you have strengths at doing, that can really crowd out being. And to be just careful about that, especially if you're a very good doer. (laughs) You know, it's particularly important.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that that's really true. Another way, just when you were talking earlier about the way people are when they're in the green zone versus in the red zone, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me bring up the Enneagram at some point because it's my favorite personality typing system, I love it dearly, and it's also just a great conversation starter with friends. So. If you think that personality typing systems are bunk, I mostly agree with you for the record, but also they can be kind of fun, useful proxies for the way that people actually are in the world. And the way that the Enneagram is set up, if you haven't seen it before, is that there are these nine different numbers that represent different personality types. None of them are good, none of them are bad, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses. Each of them has a relationship with two of the other types, where they move to one when they're feeling really good, and they move to the other when they're feeling really bad. So they manifest the negative parts of some other type when they're not doing so great, and they manifest the positive parts of a type when they're really in a good place. And that's maybe another way to kind of think about this. Where does your being move to when you're not feeling so good? Or maybe when you're really wrapped up in doing is another way to talk about it, when you're really under stress, which is what most of us experience when we're doing aggressively. Or on the other hand, where does your being move to when you're really rested in that green zone? What is the person that you are like?
1: And do you want to be that person more often? And I think that most of us probably would. That's a beautiful way to bring together this conversation about being and that material, which I, I know is... Yeah, also, you introduced also, me to it, actually. Yeah, Yeah. also the from the Enneagram. It's very, very interesting. Well, I would just maybe finish up here by mentioning that a way to make this more concrete as well is for people to uh, bring to mind a memory or just a knowing of what it's like in certain situations that in which they feel supported, they're not at war with the world, they're not running on empty, whatever those might be for you. I mean, an example for me is being outdoors, being in wilderness with a friend, let's say, or just sort of hanging out while making a meal. And who are you? What do you like? What do you like then? And can you rest increasingly in that feeling of who you are in those kind of situations? And that's a good way to come home more to who you naturally are. I think it's a great
0: recommendation. It's also probably as good a place as Eddie to bring today's episode to a close. Uh, This was really interesting Dad, and I I think that it was nice to kind of talk about this out loud as we've both been thinking about it, so we're kind of finding our thoughts on it as the conversation has been going on. Hopefully, people found it interesting. And if you have any thoughts on this material, feel free to shoot us an email. You can reach us at contact at beingwellpodcast.com. You can also always leave a rating and a positive review on the platform of your choice. That's another way to get in contact with us. I've had a couple of reviews that were left recently that were very positive, really appreciated them, that also kind of called me out a little bit for using some of my pet phrases. And once I read the reviews, I listened back through some of the episodes and now I can't stop hearing myself using these pet phrases that I repeat over and over again. So you've definitely had an impact and I've tried to do it a little bit less and hopefully I've been successful in that. (laughs) Also, if you've been enjoying the podcast for a little while, please, if you could subscribe to it through the platform of your choice and hey, maybe even tell a friend about it. It's one of the best ways for us to reach more people. And we really appreciate that. So today we talked about the dichotomy, the interplay, the contrast between the ideas of being and doing. Broadly speaking, what somebody is, is what they're being. What they do is what they're doing. Being is an act. It's a verb. We're all being all of the time. But sometimes what we do kind of gets in the way of who we are. And a lot of this is due to broad cultural pressures. There's a lot of pressure on people culturally to keep on doing, to do and do and do with the hope that someday in the future they'll get to be. And unfortunately for most people, most of the time, they never actually get around to being. They just get so wrapped up in doing that they don't experience the journey along the way. And that's really what this episode was directed at. How can we get more in touch with being And really, how can we identify the things that we would like to be more? Rick laid out a variety of ways that doing tends to get in the way of being. I kind of articulated some of them a second ago. But just to flip the coin a little bit, being can also serve doing. By having more of a sense of who we are or what we want to create out in the world, we can be more authentic in our self-expression through what we do. And that, I think, is a very cool way to approach all of this material, that idea of being and doing as having a collaborative relationship with one another, as opposed to a more combative relationship with each other. As we go through the world, of course, there are things that we have to get done. Rick even gave the example of the Zen bakery where there were people moving around and sure, they were pouring coffee or baking bread or doing whatever it was that they were doing, but they were completely absorbed alongside that doing in the task of being and that it gave a wonderful intentionality to what they were doing alongside it. So finally, Rick walked me through a little process about discovering things that maybe I would want to be more, and some ways that he would kind of approach it. And then additionally, at the end, some ways that people can get more in touch with being throughout their lives. One of the things that kind of stuck with me is this idea of who we are when we're our best self. Whether that's when we're rested in the green zone, to use Rick's language, or to use the language of the Enneagram, when we're in a state of expansion, or to maybe put it as simply as you can, when we're just kind of relaxed. We're not stressed out. We're not worried about something. We're just here, as Ram Dass said, being here right now. And that's a really wonderful inquiry. What are you like when you are being here now? And what are the parts of that being here now that you would like to take more into your life broadly, including more into your doing? So that's it for today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation on being and doing, and we'll be back with another episode for you next week. So until next time, thanks for listening.